we are in a series called Faith of Our Fathers. And what we are doing in this series is we're taking a look at three historical systems that help us to know our faith and pass our faith on. It's not enough just to know our faith. As I've said, we can know it, but we need to be rooted in it. We need to be growing in it. We need to be passing it on to the next generation. Truly, we are one generation away. Christianity is one generation away from extinction. If we do not know our faith and are rooted in it so that we are passing it on to the next generation. And there are three historical systems. Creeds, confessions, and catechisms. Creeds are short, memorable statements about our faith. Confessions are detailed beliefs, are, are detailed about our belief system with verses. And then catechism is a question and answer format to understand what we believe. Now today we're going to take a look at a very famous confession. It's called the Westminster Confession and it has two catechisms associated with it. One that is 196 questions and answers. And then a shorter one that is 107 question and answers. Honestly, as I've looked at both of these, I can't tell the difference other than one has fewer words. Now as I was thinking about this, I thought how many of us here went to some kind of parochial school and had catechism classes. Can I see your hands? Okay, look around. These are probably second generation, third generation believers. Okay. You probably have nightmares of those classes, don't you? I mean, I will not forget the first time. I, I mean, I was a young pastor and I was invited to go to this parochial school and teach about the resurrection of Christ. And there was this Sister Mary in there and as I was teaching and asked a question, one of the students answered incorrectly. And Sister Mary came up there with a ruler. I kid you not. Give me your hand, little John. Hand it like this. No, turn it over. Whack. I went like that. I better get my theology right or I'm going to get knuckled, okay? This morning... I don't want you to be fearful of getting your knuckles wrapped. And I sure don't want you to feel guilty, okay, for maybe not knowing some of this stuff that we're going over. Instead, I want to challenge you to use your life in a different way as a result of this, this confession and catechism. Like I said, catechism is a question and answer format for learning your faith, the teacher asks the question and the student responds with the answer. Now this Westminster Confession and Catechism was written in 1647. The Apostles' Creed that we talked about two weeks ago was written in the first or second century, about 50 years after the New Testament was written, and it focused in on the deity of Christ because the misconception back then by Gnostics was that Jesus really wasn't a physical being, okay? 
Then we took last week a look at the Nicene Creed, and it focused in on Jesus' deity. It was written in the 4th century, around uh, 325 A.D. This one was written in the 1600s, which came about as a result of the English Parliament calling leaders to come together to decide on a number of doctrinal issues. This conference, this meeting, folks, it lasted five years. I know some of you out there think that church lasts too long at an hour and 15 minutes. How would you like this to be a five-year session right here, okay? And it was adopted, or in the last 300 years, it has been adopted by a number of major denominations, primarily Presbyterians and the Reformed Church. This confession catechism covers all kinds of topics, and I have put them on your outline. As I was looking at these things, thinking, 196 questions. Well, we'll be in here for five years if I cover all that. What in the world? What am I going to teach out of this? And this is what I came up with. Answers and actions. Because I think that's what the leaders were really going after back there in the, the 1647. They were looking for answers and they were looking for action. They were looking for theological answers and they were looking for actions. They wanted it to be applied. And so, will you write this down? Discovering answers without taking action leads to an empty faith. Discovering answers and getting your head all pumped up with all kinds of knowledge and yet not applying it, not having actions out of it, leads to an empty faith. You see, faith has feet. Or you and I should put feet to our faith. I have learned over the last 47 years as a follower of Jesus Christ that you have got to act on the answers that you are given. If you do not, your faith is dead. Take a look at this verse out of James. Remember, it is a message to obey, not just listen to. If you don't obey, you're only fooling yourself. To listen and not obey is like looking at your face in a mirror, but doing nothing to improve your appearance. You see yourself, you walk away and forget what you look like. Answers without, or answers, yes, without action leads to a shallow, weak faith. Honestly, that is why in every message at LifePoint Church over the last 30 years, and do you know that on March 12th we're going to celebrate uh, our 30th anniversary as a church? God has been good. As I like to say, the lines have fallen in pleasant places. I would have never dreamt being from Missouri, a good Missouri, Kansas City boy, go Chiefs, that I would be in Dallas. And yet God has been good. And yet over the last 30 years, every message that I have ever delivered is action-oriented. It always contains a verb in it. I grew up where I knew of people who what I would consider to be theological giants. They had an answer for everything. I mean, if they were on Jeopardy, they would have won. They would have answered, like, who is, you know how you have to answer that way. They would have won. But in life, 
They were conceited and arrogant. Have you known any theological people like that? Gag me royal. <laughs> they were Bible smart. But honestly, they were life dumb. The Christian life is about answers, yes. But it's about action too. One of the things that I do in preparing for a message is that I think of faces that I know and conversations that I have had with people and I put together a message with answers and with action. One of the things that I absolutely love about LifePoint Church over the last 30 years is that we are not just about beliefs. We are also about behavior. We want to know how it applies to our life today. What can I do with it now? That is why oftentimes I will say, what you get on Sunday, guess what? You can use it on Monday. Now because of this, I want us to take a look at just a tiny sliver of this Westminster Confession and Catechism that is found in both the long and short version. And it is the very first question of both the long and short catechism. And it is this. What is the chief end of man? If you've been around LifePoint very long, you know that that is a very purpose-driven question. What is the big purpose of your life? Why did God make you? What are you here for? What is God's will for your life? What is God's will, his general will for your life? What is God's specific will for your life? This is the first question in the long and short catechism. What is the chief end of man? And the answer is twofold. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Now that we're done with that question, let's go on to the other 195, okay? No, let's don't do that, okay? It'd take us five years. But let's focus in on this one, this one question and answer, because this is the purpose of life. Now, you may be here, maybe as a seeker, not very knowledgeable about the Christian faith, I want you to know, I'm glad you're here, honestly. And you may have some questions, and if you do, that is cool. It is cool to have questions, and you are at a good place because LifePoint likes questions. In fact, I love questions, okay? It stimulates my mind. If you study the ministry of Jesus, he asked more questions to get stimulate people than he answered them. And so if you have questions, you're at a good place. And if you have questions that you want to talk to God about, guess, don't be afraid of that. And don't think that God is afraid of your questions. You may have a tough question. Folks, God's not afraid of it. It's not going to take him by surprise, right? I mean, you're going to ask him a question, he's not going to say, oh my God, I never thought of that. No, folks, he knows the questions and so nothing is going to happen until you start asking questions and you genuinely start seeking answers. This is important. Truly, if what Jesus said about himself is true, 
where he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. If that is true, then you and I are on a serious investigation. For myself, 47 years ago, in May, I said, yes, you are who you said you are. Questions and answers are good. Now, the Bible says that you were created to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, to enjoy all spiritual satisfactions that he wants to give you. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So, whatever you, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now, what does this mean? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean first. It doesn't mean that you go out and be a glutton to the glory of God. It doesn't mean that you go out and you get drunk to the glory of God. No, that isn't what it means. That is not what Paul is saying here. What Paul is saying here is that whatever you do, no matter how ordinary it may be, eating and drinking, enjoy it. We, we live in Collin County. There's all kinds of restaurants that you can go eat and drink at. Enjoy it for the glory of God. What does that word mean? Glory or for the glory of God. It's kind of an abstract word, isn't it? It's kind of a churchy word. Hey, why are you here? To glorify God. What does that mean? I think we all know what it means to enjoy something. But what does it mean to glorify something? To glorify him, to glorify God. Well, in order to understand what that word means or that phrase, to glorify God, we have to first understand that the Bible says that God is already glory. Now, this is a little heady, so stay with me on this. In the New Test or in the Old Testament, he is called the King of Glory. In the New Testament, he is called the God of Glory. And not only is he the God of Glory and the King of Glory, but his glory fills the whole earth. Take a look at Isaiah chapter 6. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. So if God is glory, think with me. How do we glorify God? How do we give him glory if he's already glory? Well, to understand how you give God glory, you have to understand the word give. Give here is not the same as Hey, I want to give you a skunk. Hey, it's your, I just, my, I'm just thinking you, I'm just going to give you a skunk, okay? No. You and I don't give to God as we give to others because he already has it all, right? He owns it all. It's all his. You and I don't give to God as we give to other people because he already is glory. Glory is his nature. Glory is his essence. Glory is the sum of all of God. That's what God is. 
And so you don't glorify what is already glory, like you don't make water wet, do you? No, it's already wet. Just like you don't make a rock hard, it's already hard. Just like you don't make a pastor long-winded, they're already long-winded, right? So in the same way, you don't give God glory because, folks, that's what he is. The key here, the key to the meaning of glorifying God is this. Will you write this down? It means to recognize his glory and to promote his glory. Those two things are what it means to glorify God. We recognize and we promote There is a great word in the Bible for these two things. It's found in uh, 1 Chronicles 16, verse 24. Look at this. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples, for great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. Will you circle the word declare? Declare doesn't mean that you add something to him. No, it means that you recognize and you promote. You make it known. It is like opening the curtains of your window or opening the shades, opening the window to let other people see the glory of God. Now, I want to make this practical so that you can remember this when you leave. See, to this question, there is a two-part answer. To this question of what is the chief end of man is a two-part answer. It is like two hands. One hand represents the glory, glorifying God. The other hand is to enjoy him. So as you came in, you were offered, you were given a sheet of paper, okay, I want you to get out your sheet of paper. I've already done mine. Take a look at this. That's my hand. I want you to draw your hand because, you know, we've got to reach the next generation. And and as you know, if you have kids or grandkids, they love to do things at school and they bring them to you. And then you, what what do you do with them? You you put them on your refrigerator, right? If I've got one, I've got hundreds of them there, right? And so this is for you uh, that you can give to your kids. You can put it on your refrigerator. Okay, but I, I want, let's see those hands. I did this with my staff on Tuesday. You want to know what my staff meetings are like? I had them all come in. I said, okay, I want you to color your prayer requests today, okay? And so we took 15 minutes and they were drawing pictures. I got some of the greatest pictures in the world hanging on my refrigerator or in my office right now. So I want you to do this, okay? Color, color your hand. Now, If you traced your hand with the palm up, research has stated that you're weird, okay? So don't do that. Put it over on the other side. And let's start with the thumb, okay? Let's start with the thumb. And by that, or in that space of your thumb, write the word, be content. Now, how are you going to remember this, this, this phrase, be content, Well, think of conversations that you have, maybe even out in the hallways here, as you're leaving. Hey, how's it going? You go, thumbs up. That's great. I'm good. I'm content. How? Here's how 
This works. When you're content, folks, it, it promotes God's glory. How does that work? Well, contentment recognizes God's sovereignty. What's sovereignty, Pastor George? It means that God is in control. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows everything because he is everywhere. And when God acts, he acts for good. He has the power to act, and when he acts, he acts for good. And contentment recognizes God's sovereignty so that when I am content, I acknowledge that he is trustworthy, that he is a good God, that he is in control, that he knows everything. He knows the end from the beginning. And when I feel that way, I reflect his glory. I glorify him. On the flip side, when I am discontent, when I am questioning God's wisdom, when I question God's plan, when I, when I question God's goodness towards my life, let, let me put it like this, when I'm grumbling, I'm being discontent. And a lot of times in life that happens, doesn't it? Some, something happens, a curveball is thrown at it and it hits us and it hurts and immediately, what in the world is going on? God, this just doesn't make sense. I can't believe this happened. And so when those kinds of things happen in your life, unless you pray for contentment and learn contentment, it is easy to be discontent. It's just in our nature. You coming in today and you saw me here teaching, you thought maybe, I don't know, I was supposed to be in Cameroon and you thought Robert Bannock was gonna be here. We gotta hear Pastor George again. That's being discontent. When you see that I'm in this Hawaiian shirt, he said, when is he going to give that up? It's 37 degrees out there this morning. You are being discontent. When you looked at the outline and you saw how much was on that outline, you thought, we're going to be in here for five years. That is being discontent. Folks, it's easy. Is it not to be discontent? It is, even in Collin County. It is tough to be content with our spouses, with our jobs, with the economy, with the government, with politics, with our weight, with our gray, graying hairline. Folks, there's all kinds of things, are there not, that we can whine about. However, when we learn to pray and, 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 and learn contentment, we glorify God. Now, I'm going to share this verse with you out of Philippians 4 because this verse is oftentimes misquoted. And it's the part of the verse that says, and we've heard this, have we not? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But we don't know the context of it. Let's read it, Philippians 4. Paul says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. 
Will you circle that last phrase? That is what it means to be content. I can live in plenty and I can live in want and I can be content with either. I can live where my belly is full and I'm satisfied or I can live where I'm hungry and I'm content with both of them. We like that phrase, I can do all things in Christ. But you can't do that unless you understand the sovereignty of God. That God is in control. That he knows the end from the beginning. You can't do all things in Christ until contextually you're content. So thumbs up is what? Be content. Work with me, okay? Thumbs up is what? Be content. The pointing finger goes up a lot of times in church and right by it, praise him. I thought of this when it comes to our worship team. A lot of times, like Rick Cassidy, when he sings a song, he'll point up like this or Rob, because he's got his hands, he looks up. It's the pointing finger up. It's praise him. When, you, when an artist does a great song in church, a lot of times they're pointing up to praise him. Praise is another way of glorifying God. And yet praise isn't just about songs. A lot of times we think it's just about songs. It's not. In fact, notice what David, who was a singer, said about praise in Psalm 66. Shout joyfully praises to God all the earth. Sing about the glory of his name. Tell the world how glorious he is. Will you circle two words? Sing and tell. Now I know this is gonna shock you, but I am not a good singer. I know I've won all kinds of awards here at LifePoint Church at our Christmas tree lighting event, right? I've, I've won every year except one, and if some of you know Pastor Kyung, a former executive, notice the word former, okay? <laughs> Went to Saddleback, I had to get him out of here because I didn't like that, that I'd lost that year. But I'm really not a good singer. In fact, how many of us here are not good singers? Can I see your hands? Raise them up. Well, okay. Rob has a lot to work with here, okay. Well, I'm not, you're in good company. In fact, the worship team has been told, whatever you do, and Pastor George is sitting in the front, don't look at him because he claps off beat all the time, right? So you're in a good crowd, okay? But I am glad that David said that praising God just didn't happen through song. He says it happens by telling others about God. And I am one who likes to tell. I'm a teller. And telling God, telling others about what God has done glorifies him. Sometimes there are people that will come up to me and say, George, that was just awesome. How did you do that? I said, it's a God thing. God did it. I don't know, God just has gifted me the way he has gifted me. I, I don't take credit. Giving God glory is giving God the credit where credit is due. And all of us should do that. Take a look at Psalms 148, verse 13. Let them all praise the name of the Lord, for his name is very great. His glory towers over the earth and heaven. 
If you are a follower of Christ, you need to learn how to glorify God through praising him. You need to learn how to do that through song. Last week when we talked about the Nicene Creed, you remember my little rap song that I gave you? I mean, it was kind of cool, I thought, okay? We three, his love for me, that's the Nicene Creed. Remember that? Do we have to repeat that message? (laughs) Sing your songs to God and tell others about what God is doing. Give credit where credit is due. So thumbs up is what? Finger up is what? Middle finger. I'm not going to show you the middle finger, okay? You know where it's at. And if, I, and if I raised it, someone would take a picture here and put it on Facebook. Pastor George flips off congregation this Sunday. I'm not going to go there, okay? Now, we all know this. I think if you've traveled outside the United States, the middle finger is an international symbol, okay? And it stands for this. Will you write this down? Confess sins. Can you do that? Yeah, I'm sure you can, okay? But here's the question. How does confessing sin glorify God? It declares that God is right and that I'm wrong. When I confess my sins, what it does is it accesses God's grace and it ushers in his forgiveness. If you are a follower of Christ, you need to memorize 1 John 1, 9. I'm going to read this because it's a different translation than I memorized it. But 1 John 1, 9 says, But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from every wrong. If we do that. If we confess. Will you circle the word if? Because if we do not confess our sins, it means that I don't take responsibility for my flops, failures, and fumbles. And let's be honest, we don't like to do that, do we? We don't like to to own our flops, failures, and fumbles. What we like to do is we like to blame. We like to blame others, and we like to blame God. And this has been going on since the creation of man. Adam and Eve blew it. God comes to Adam, the head of the family, and says, Adam, what in the world's going on here? And he says, the woman... You gave me. Guys, have you ever done that? Blamed your wife? My wife all the time says, George, you blame me for everything. I says, it's biblical. (laughs) It's biblical, right? It's biblical. Let me teach you a little theology here. When we blame God, we are assigning him guilt. And God is never at fault. So when we do that, what it does is it maligns his holiness and it really expresses our ignorance. On the other hand, when we confess our sins, it glorifies God because it acknowledges that God is holy, that he is right, that he is just, And I am the one that is at fault. And so I confess it so that I can keep in connection with him. So, confessing sin glorifies God. Thumbs up is what? Finger, pointing finger up. Middle finger up. 
Then the ring finger. The ring finger is this, write down, make him known. Now I would have you know that this ring I've had for really about 45 years. This August, my wife and I are gonna be married 45 years. And I will never forget going down to get these rings. I wanted to buy her a big diamond ring, right? A show off, kind of, hey, hey, look at, you know, uh, I'm, I'm engaged, you know, I've got this hunk of, hunk of burning love over here. But Cheryl said, no, I'm a, I'm a nurse, I'm gonna be a nurse, and I'm not gonna take that ring off once I have it on, it's gonna be on there forever, and I have to wear rubber gloves, I do bedpans, and I'm not, no, I want bands. Yes. I said, okay, here's the deal. We're gonna go down to Alvin's Jewelers. And Alvin's Jewelers in Kansas City was the big jewelry store where you can wheel and deal with things, okay? So we're going down there, and I said, Cheryl, whatever you do, don't say anything. We'll look at different rings, but I'm going to, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna do some wheeling and dealing with them, okay? So don't say anything. So we get down there, and they put out all these bands, and Cheryl picks this one. Now, this one's really shiny, but back then it had little cuts, grooves in it, and initials on the inside, but it's worn, 45 years, you know. And, uh, but anyway, I like these. I said, and then I asked the big question, how much do these cost? And the guy says, they're $200 for both of them. And I was getting ready to say, oh, that's way too expensive. And Cheryl said, oh, that's a good deal. So I had to pay $200 for $100 for this one, $100 for the other one, okay? But I would have you know that this ring makes it known that I am in relationship, in this case with Cheryl. I don't need this ring to be married. I do need to keep it on to be alive, but it's a different thing. Do you remember, oh, I love this, uh, uh, Steve Martin in Father of the Bride 2. I mean, he's kind of going through a little crisis, midlife crisis. He's gone to the hairstylist and he's got his hair all dude up. He's in his convertible Maserati. He pulls up to this intersection and this girl in this convertible Corvette, I mean, she is hot. She's looking over at him, hitting on him hard. You remember what he does in the movie? He raises his hand with his ring finger. I want you to know I'm in relationship. Folks, one of the ways that you and I glorify God is by making him known through shining the good news, putting a light on the good news. And what is the good news? Folks, it is this, that God made you to love you. He wants to be in relationship with you. He wants you to have a relationship with him and he wants to have a relationship with you. But there is a problem we have a sin problem, and it has created a separation between him and God, and it is a problem that we cannot solve on our own. And God, knowing that, sends the perfect sacrifice, his only son. That is the good news. And when you bring to light the good news, you are making him known. What are you making him known about Take a look at this verse, Acts 14, 15. We have come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. Paul, or Luke, is saying here, quoting Paul, that the good news brings about change. And it is a changed life. 
that glorifies God. Folks, today, I am different than I was 47 years ago. As different as night is from day. 47 years ago, I was a moral reprobate. I was raised in the 60s. Drugs, sex, and rock and roll, baby, okay? I was a moral reprobate, but today, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I am an evangelical. My faith is grounded and rooted in the New Testament. I am a first-generation Christian, meaning that I don't have a denominational heritage, and I am a religious libertarian, meaning that I believe that God gives man a choice to reject him or accept him, and so too I must give people a choice. Today I am different. Over 30 years of ministry, I've had people come up to me and say, Pastor George, your teaching has changed my life. And though that is nice to hear, that is not true. God changes lives. God is the life changer. God is the only one that can do that. And sure, God has used me as a teacher to in, to be an instrument to, to promote that. But God is the one that gets the credit and he gets the credit for even using a knucklehead like myself to make him known. So, thumbs up. Finger up. Middle finger up. Ring, ring finger up. Then the pinky finger. Will you write bear fruit? Now, this one is a challenge, okay? So I'm gonna share you, with you a little story. I love olives. I love black olives. I love green olives. And, and when my folks would get the green olives, I did not like those little tomatoes in it. Gag me royal. <laughs> so I would take them out, and then I would put that, that olive on my little finger and, and eat it. And olive is a fruit, and I share that story because I know you're thinking, that's too much information, George. But now you'll remember it, right? Little pinky finger is bare fruit. Take a look. Oh, yeah, take a look at this. Oh, yeah, no, let me mention this. All the things that I've mentioned thus far really are displays of action. And if you think about it, those actions are fruit. Those actions of being content, of praising him, of confessing sin, of making him known, are fruit. Those fruits embody our actions. And so what is fruit? It's your good works. It's what flows from your life. It's what's revealed from your life. Take a look at John 15, verse eight. My true disciples produce much fruit. This brings much glory to my Father. When we do this, this, this giving, not just of answers, but showing actions, is bearing fruit. What kind of fruit? Internal fruit and external fruit. Internal fruit. Take a look at Philippians 1, 11. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. Those good things that are produced in, will you circle that word, in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise 
to God in uh, fruit in your life and then fruit from your life. Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your good deeds, and will you circle this phrase, shine out for all to see so everyone will praise your heavenly Father. When you produce fruit internally and externally from your life, it is like opening the window and showing the glory of God to the world. Now the question is what is the chief end of man? First answer is to glorify God through actions, by being content, by praising him, by confessing our sin, by making him known, and by bearing fruit. The other hand, an answer is to enjoy him forever. Now, what does it mean to enjoy God forever? Well, I want you to think of someone in your mind that you enjoy being with. Get them in your mind right now. Who's that one person, or maybe several, that you really enjoy being with? You got them in your mind? Let me ask you this question. When you're with them, how do they make you feel? However they make you feel, then you know what it means to enjoy something. I enjoy LifePoint Church. I've given my whole life here. It makes me feel, I feel welcomed here. I feel warm. I feel wanted. I, I feel appreciated. I feel I'm acknowledged. I, I feel I'm accepted. That's what it means. Folks, I enjoy being with my family. When my oldest boy, Aaron, comes over, I enjoy his presence because he just lights me up. He, he, he knows how to tell stories in a way that just gets you to laugh your blessed assurance off. I enjoy being with my middle boy, Matthew. He's so industrious. I invite him over. Hey, Matt, can you come over and help me hang my new 82-inch flat screen 4K TV? God's been good. And he does it. And what I enjoy more is he cleans up after himself. I enjoy when David comes home from Washington, D.C., doing ministry in the hood. He's working on his doctorates now in urban ministry. And I enjoy when he comes because we learn together about ministry. I love coming home to my wife. I love being close to her. You see, I think we intuitively know what it means to enjoy someone. But with God, it'll be a gazillion times more impactful. The writers of the Westminster Catechism and Confession made this their number one question for a reason. To get across the idea that our life is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. When you leave here, and you go in home or to a restroom and you wash your hands. You do wash your hands when you go into a restroom after you're done, right? Please say yes. I want you to pause and I want you to think 
And like a catechism, I want you to ask yourself some questions. Am I content? Am I praising God? Am I confessing sin? Am I making him known? And am I bearing fruit? Because when you and I do that, we are glorifying God and we are enjoying a relationship with him. Let's pray. Lord, I really thank you that you made us to love us. That you want to be in relationship with us. And you want us to be in relationship with you. It is something that you dreamt about before the foundations of the world. And I thank you, God, that you chose to make me, to make us, to bring us together as a spiritual family. That together we might glorify you, not just within the walls of our church, but outside the walls of our church. And that we might enjoy each other and you together, and not just inside the walls of the church, but outside the walls of the church. God, I thank you that you are sovereign, that you are good, that you are great that you know the end from the beginning, that you have all power to bring about all kinds of good in our life. And I praise you for that. God, today, as we leave this place, would your Holy Spirit illuminate the eyes of our hearts that we might see you more clearly and that we might follow you more fully, God that we might not just know our faith, but that we might be rooted in it, that we might be practicing it, God, that we can reach the next generation for Jesus Christ. God, we look to you to do these things. In your son's precious name, amen.